Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Welcome to the 82nd episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, we get to celebrate the 10 and 2 Seattle Seahawks. And uh, we've got a bunch to go over. I'm um, going to have a fun show tonight. I do want to ask, I've got a, a pressing question. I've got to ask Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 on Twitter. Um, what, what place are we in in the NFC West? I've, I've lost track. First, first place. Is there anything above first place? No, first, like leading in the NFL is the most possible that you can do. Once you're in first, there's nothing that's better. No possible improvements, no further optimizations. First is the best. <laughs> I love it. That is the type of hard hitting analytics and data crunching you're going to get on this show. Uh, Evan Hill at Evan Hill SEA on Twitter. Welcome back, dude. Good to see you. Thank you. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, where you were during this last Seahawks game uh, against the Vikings. Were you watching that in your abode? Were you watching that out? Were you watching that alone? Were you watching that with friends? Talk to me about that. I had I had a couple of Seahawks friends that reside in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm convinced there's more Seahawks fans than Cardinals fans down here. Um, I had a, I have a few of them over for the game, and it was heart attack inducing as usual. It was a wild, wild game. I do appreciate. I will just say. I just will make note of one thing. I really appreciate that Pete Carroll completely stomped on Viking hearts, took the 17 point lead, let them come back in the game to let them build up some hope and then completely shattered them, 
completely shattered their hearts, you know, after, after the Seahawks won. So um, definitely, definitely a fun game. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, remind me at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter, um, our verified legitimate source of Seahawks information. Um, what was your prediction for that game? I, th- I think it was 27, 23 for the Seahawks. Or no, I think I had 31. I think I had 31 points. I think I stole yours. I think we were similar. Yeah, I seem to remember you were pretty close. You might have been closest to pin on predictions for that game. The game did go differently than I thought, though. I thought Russell would have one of these big time games. And that was my next question, what was what was, you know, you're close on score. How did the game go relative to the way you expected it? to? Very differently. Very differently. I thought that the weakness of the Vikings was their secondary. And I thought that Russell would just be able to exploit it. And it seemed like the Vikings kind of overcompensated trying to make sure they covered up that one area. And I just didn't expect the Seahawks to dominate the line of scrimmage offensively like they did, because really we everyone's been tweeting about their pass blocking numbers this year. Their offensive line has been pretty bad this year. And that was supposed to be one of the strengths of their team. And I just didn't think they would dominate the Vikings front seven and really just kind of flip the script on how they've won this year. And, the, the idea of how the game would go in terms of like the Seahawks being the better team I was right about, but the way it happened, I was totally wrong about. Well, and, and speaking of predictions, um, other than Matt Calkins, uh, who predicts the Seahawks to lose every week in the Seattle times. Um, and uh, don't yeah. feed the trolls. <laughs> He's the king of trolls right now. Uh, and Nathan, you, you did have the Seahawks losing. You were worried about this game and this is not a, uh, you know, not I'm not trying to put you in a hard spot I'm curious though like I I thought I thought the Vikings were going to be the toughest team left on the schedule for the Seahawks I I really thought this was a tough game I had a ton of respect for how balanced that Vikings team was I think it was the best offense that they were that they the Seahawks have faced in a while um and so I, I totally understood where you were coming from in terms of having concerns about that game what surprised you like what was different what worked out differently than you would have anticipated uh well i think the defense looked uh good again and i didn't know i wasn't sure whether that was going to continue to be true um they ended up kind of reversing on that and i think that was a little bit more of what i was expecting over the course of the game but for a while there they looked good um cousins and the vikings offense looked pretty ineffective for a long stretch in that game um but then, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, like Jeff was saying, the way that they were effective offensively was surprising. I wouldn't have been surprised if Russ had a big a big day or if the offense was good and that's how they won. But to see them just blow the Vikings up the ball constantly and, and run as well as they did, uh, I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious, like, uh, for any of you, like, uh, was Minnesota worse than you thought they were in any particular aspect? And I'll, I'll start by saying I, I didn't expect their run defense to be as, as porous as it was. And I don't know how much of that is personnel um, and how much of that is what we heard about in, in kind of post game, you know, from Russell saying that they were in a two day, two deep shell a lot of the time and leaving a lot, you know, fewer guys in the box and the Seahawks were just taking an advantage and running it. So maybe it's just, you know, as we know from data, like an analytics stuff, the number of men in the box from a defensive standpoint, I think is the 
one of the largest predictors, if not the largest predictor of, of rushing success. So, you know, that's obviously, you know, a, a key factor, but I, I guess I just didn't expect to see like Linval Joseph and Daniel Hunter and those guys get pushed backwards the way they were so often in that game. And the other thing I'd throw out there is I thought Daniel Hunter would be creating a lot more pass pressure. Everson Griffin would creating a lot more pass pressure. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't a lot of pass pressure, like from a pretty decent pass rushing team. I mean, is that the Vikings are not maybe as good as we thought, or is that maybe the Seahawks offensive line played really well? I can take that one real quick, just because I'm looking at the numbers right now. In terms of the season, that was the best pass blocking performance the Seahawks, the Seahawks have had all year long. And, it, and it's not even close. They registered a 17 or 17, a 79.8 overall pass blocking grade. The closest grade they came even close to um, this year was 71.5 against the Bucks. I think you hit the nail on the head, Brian. You know, they, they have some really talented edge rushers guys that can create pressure on the quarterback you know really really push them into mistakes that's daniel hunter everson griffin um i forget the name of the other triplet there but um they've they've been they've had a pretty successful year in terms of the in terms of the minnesota vikings pass rush and for seattle to come out and not only just run the ball down their throats but also put you know a pretty um impressive pass blocking performance together was really, really encouraging. And hopefully that's something they can continue to build on for next week. Yeah. It was also, I think the, the worst, the lowest graded pass rushing performance by that Minnesota Vikings defense um, on the season um, via PFF. Um, I don't know. I mean, Nathan, Jeff, <laughs> do you walk away from that game feeling differently about the Seahawks offensive line? Uh, I don't because, I mean, that was a, like, especially in terms of their run blocking. I mean, they were really bullying the Vikings. I I wouldn't feel confident in any offensive line repeating that kind of a performance. So I I figure they're going to come back to to earth at least a little bit. Um, But I mean, yeah, anytime you can see, a team perform like that and maybe they figured something out. Maybe they, they've got some folks that are healthy now that weren't healthy hundred percent before, you know, who knows? So it's definitely promising. I, I don't think that anyone should be expecting that this is the new normal though. Yeah. I mean, Jeff is, is this, is there any way, like, is this comparable to the defensive line performance of the Seahawks against the 49ers who are like, Whoa, where did that come from? And is it repeatable? Is, is this somewhat equivalent on the offensive line side? No, I wouldn't say so. I think just if you look at why like the Seahawks pass rush has started to come along, it's a bunch of factors that we sort of predicted that guys were getting healthier guys. Jaron Reed was coming into his own, once they had all of their four actual pass rushers on the field and adding Shaq Griffin as a speed rusher, which the group really didn't have, that really kind of makes sense of why the kind of there's been a turnaround. Offensively, like they were terrible the week before in Philly, the offensive line. So I don't know if it's a repeatable performance. Uh, I think the Vikings kind of just overcompensated, and I think the Seahawks caught them off guard, and I thought they adjusted really well. 
And I was surprised just how ineffective that pole front seven was. And if, even you could include Harrison Smith in there, who's a guy that Seahawks fans have been talking about for a long time. So I don't know if it's repeatable. It's probably not, if we're being honest, especially since we're playing Aaron Donald this week. But it's obviously encouraging, but I, I, I am with Nathan. I don't think it's a sign of things to come. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I think the Seahawks offensive line has actually strung together a few good games. Like I thought they played pretty well against the Eagles, even though the Eagles had six sacks. I thought a lot of those were um, avoidable. Um, you know, the two sacks that they that, that they gave up in this game to Minnesota were both attributed to Russell. Um, I thought that they played actually like against the 49ers even D Ford and Nick Bosa combined for zero sacks and one quarterback hit. Um, there was definitely some pressure given up there, but it was more from the interior. Um, so I'm starting, I, I don't know. I'm not saying that, that this all of a sudden is, you know, the 2005 Seahawks offensive line, but um that was as good of an offensive line performance as I've seen in a long time by a Seahawks team. If I, if I kind of look at it holistically and it really stood out because, you know, being in the stadium, generally when they run the ball, like you're like, okay, when the runner hits the the back of the offensive lineman and they go down right away, that's a no game in most situations, like time after time after time. And, and in this game, when that was happening, it was a two yard gain or a four yard gain. Like they would, the, the offensive linemen were really pushing them down the field. And that was, that was different. So I, I am interested to see. And the, th- the other thing about it is this wasn't a bad run defense that they did it against. And in fact, the Seahawks have now faced some of the best run defenses. The, the Eagles were a great run defense. They ran over them. The, the Tampa, Tampa Bay was a great run defense. The Seahawks went for 145 yards rushing against them. Um, uh, you know, Pittsburgh is a great rush defense, went for 150 yards against them. They've actually like kind of gone up against some of the best rush defenses and had some of their better rushing games. And that may be significant, um, you know, come playoffs, come, uh, you know, even this week as we get into the Rams, because the Rams, again, I think they're like the third ranked rushing defense in the NFL. So, um, it, you know, it's going to be tough, tough sledding again. But we talk about the offensive lining a lot. Evan, you haven't brought up Rashad Penny yet. It's been like 13 minutes into the pod, and you haven't said Rashad Penny. Uh, how do you feel about your boy? He has strung together several really good games, and you can tell. I don't know what the exact split was on Sunday, but it felt like 50-50, and I wouldn't be surprised if Rashad Penny actually had more carries. Somebody's probably going to correct me on that, but it felt like he did. Um, you know – we can debate, we can sit here and pick apart Penny and, you know, loathe about how he was a horrible first round pick and whatever. That's all accurate. But at the end of the day, this team is better, significantly better, I would say, when Rashad Penny is explosive, making plays and scoring touchdowns. He is a great one two punch with Chris Carson. This team is better when Rashad Penny is good. So I'm excited about it. I think um, it gives the Seahawks. Uh, a little bit more flexibility with Chris Carson's, you know, upcoming potential contract issues. We'll, we'll kind of see what happens with his fumbling down the stretch, but this is, this is, this is groundbreaking analysis, but Rashad Penny being good is a good thing for the Seahawks. 
And, you know, I've picked him apart a ton, but I'm really excited about what he's doing. Nathan. Uh, no, I, mean, I agree. <laughs> it's, it's, the Seahawks are better when their players are good. Uh, they're worse when their players are bad. Uh, yeah, dispute that. Wow. No, I, I think the stats back it up. They're coming out firing tonight, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, you, you you've been in the camp. Um, you and I, like, I've definitely been in the hold the the phone on Rashad Penny camp um, much of this season. Um, uh, I've I've changed my tune. Um, I you know even coming into this last game, I wanted to see him split split reps with Chris Carson. Uh, I don't know if we talked about it in the pod. I know we talked about it in our group chat about that. You you were like, hey, what on earth? Why would we take carries away from Chris Carson. Um, Rashad Penny hasn't shown much. Do you still feel that way? Do you feel like uh, the Seahawks are making a mistake by giving Penny more carries or how do you feel now? I mean, I still think that Carson is, again, in the ways that we can tell the difference between running backs, Carson still seems to be the better running back. He breaks more tackles. He has more yards after contact. Like he's still the better pass protector. Um, so, yeah, I don't really think that Penny deserves run over Carson, but I think Penny's shown he's a capable running back. Um, he doesn't kill you out there, except for sometimes in pass protection. Um, and, I mean, with the way that this line is blocking right now, uh, I think that works especially well for him. I mean, all running backs are dependent on their offensive line. Um, Penny might be especially dependent um, – on it again like we've talked about uh and people have talked about uh kind of the runway that he needs and and that he needs to kind of build up some steam maybe that's getting better maybe the offensive line has just been blocking really well for him um but i don't know i mean ultimately at the end of the day he's a running back (laughs) (laughs) for those listening and not watching that was a deep shoulder shrug from uh nathan yeah uh (laughs) You know, I, I, I hear you on a lot of that. I, you know, the things that got me excited about Penny are, one, I mean, we've talked about before. He definitely is a more, a bigger threat in terms of a breakaway um, option and, and explosive plays uh, on the ground. But um, I've also seen growth from him in terms of being able to run and get some of the tough yards. I thought his sexiest run in this game was – it was like, uh, they were running. He ran around the right side. It was a, it was a short yardage. He got hit early on and it looked like he was down. And then all of a sudden he burst ahead for like four more yards or something. It turned like a two yard gain into a six yard gain. I literally had looked at my phone because I thought he was down. And then I heard the crowd get excited. I was like, what happened? And I watched. There's nothing more sensual for Brian in a football game than a running back getting two to three yards after contact. I hear (laughs) that consistently. I hear that consistently. You would take the two to three yards after, after contact over a 60 yard touchdown. No, that's not true. Come on. I do like (laughs) it. I, I, I mean, if we, if we really got into stack ranking, I'd like to hear where you guys are at. My number one play by far, like of common plays, not like crazy plays, is a sack. Like a freaking blind side blow up sack, and the ball just goes flying out of the quarterback's hand. That's my favorite. Um, I do like a good broken tackle, though. I, I like contact. It's a contact sport. Like, what's your what, what's your play that you gets you out of your seat? 
You know, I love a good DB hit. Like, I yeah. love when Diggs just lays out a motherfucker and just, like, takes the soul out of somebody. Like, as long as it's done, like, legally, you know, and he's leading with his shoulder and everything, bring it. I love it, you know. Um, that's something that gets me up to my couch screaming for sure. Did you did you get off your couch screaming during Diggs' hit this, uh, this past week? Hell yeah, I did, man. It was one of those like, oh, oh, you know, those types of things. Like, he's an exciting player. And actually, while we're on him real quick, I don't know if you guys saw my tweet. Uh, shameless plug. Qu- How do you say it? Quandre Dix? Is that his first name? Quandre? Yes. <laughs> okay. It's not a hard careful. name, dude. You gotta it's learn the plug. It's not hard. It's like John. I mean, whatever. I grew up on the east side, Brian. Not the most diverse <laughs> area in the world. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, where was I going with this? Oh yeah. Over the past two weeks, uh, the fourth highest rated safety in the NFL. Sorry. I cut you off. Say that again. Over the past two weeks, pro football focus has Quandre Diggs as the highest graded safety in the NFL, fourth highest graded safety in the NFL. He's good. He's, there's no doubt of it. Uh, Nathan, like I am in particular interested in what is the play that gets you off the couch? Like what, like if. Uh, yeah. I mean, DB hits, any hits are always great. Uh, uh, I, this will probably surprise people. I think one of my favorites is um, when you have, it's kind of the same thing as that like broken tackle or like the yards after contact. But when you have a running back that uh, gets, it looks like they're bottled up. And then suddenly they're kind of on the other side of that pile on the other side of the lineman. Uh, That will always get me excited or, or, you know, and that could be anything too. Like that could be a kick return. That could be, but yeah, that moment where it's kind of like, okay, is he tackled? Oh no, he's on the other side. Then. I'm surprised it's not a fake handoff in play action. (laughs) No, it's not play action. Although, you know, one of the things that does get me really excited is, and he hasn't done it this year that very much, but there's a moment like, and it's usually off play action where Russ, you know, he he'll fake or he'll drop back and he kind of um, hitches or he takes that little bounce and you can tell he's looking downfield and he's mm. got just a moment and you know, he's just going to bomb it. Uh, I, I haven't gotten a lot of those this year, but like last year there was a ton of that where you just, yeah. you, could wait, you were just waiting for it. And uh, that's another one that I love. Yeah, it's it's well, and you know, to the point about whether Nathan gets excited about a, a play fake, there th- that's a that's a head question. Like this is a heart question, you know, and and his head might know that's the better play, but his heart, you know, his heart wants what wants what his heart wants. So, um, I know what you're talking about, like specifically with Russell when he takes a drop and immediately when he hits the last step, the top of his drop, and he looks to let go. 99 times out of 100, something great's about to happen. He's seeing exactly what he wants, and it's like something good's going to happen. It's like, yeah, that's a pretty fun moment, too. Uh, Jeff, how about you? What's, what's your, what's your uh, favorite type of play? I'd say, um, well, the, the big hit, obviously, but Evan already stole that one, so I'll go with a different one. I think it's like a, it's like a play when you either a flea flicker or when you like hand the ball to a running back and you can see they're starting to pass the ball, that always gets me very fired up. Like a receiver reverse pass or like the play they ran a couple of years ago where Doug threw it to Russell. Those kind of plays just 
because I don't know, just when you see that they're releasing it, like you can see it in slow motion, that gets me pumped. I thought you were going to say a Jason Myers field goal. No, I look the other way now. I can't even watch. <laughs> I, um, I like every single time he kicked in that game and he kicked seven times extra point and field goals. Every time I was like, just make it. And I like did not want to watch and he made them all. I don't think any of them were even 40 yards long, <laughs> but he made them all. So uh, thank you, Jason. Oh, and I have an admission. Um, I was so mad about the play before the Seahawks fake punted. I didn't even see the fake punt. I stormed off. <laughs> it was like that third and one where Chris Carson had like was wide open and he didn't stand there waiting for the ball and started running. And then I'm like, shit, they're blowing this game. And the next thing there's the, I missed the fake punt. That was, that was pretty sweet. Uh, Travis Homer looked pretty fast. Yeah. Like that's the kind of play that could get me fired up too. Like, I wish I saw it live. Speaking so, of which, did you yeah. hear actually Pete Carroll call himself big balls, Pete on, on the radio? Technically, he did not call himself that. He said the words "big balls, Pete." So we're gonna make that connection. Specifically, if we want to be really accurate, uh, someone he jumped on the radio and says, "Only call me big balls, Pete." (laughs) That's what he said. To be very someone was like, "Hey, uh, uh, you got like, where'd you get?" Oh, Dave Wyman on the radio said, "Man, he's got stones." And and Pete said on on the Monday morning show he was like, uh, "Why does it always go there?" They used to like they called me Big Balls Pete, like I think so. It's kind of like, but he did bring it up. And <laughs> Paul Gallant was like, "Oh, <laughs> don't know if they're supposed to say that on the air, but okay." <laughs> yeah, I I think it's funny. Everyone, you know, he ha- even had a nickname for what everyone on Twitter wants him to do now, which is go for it on fourth down. And uh, he's now what? Small balls, Pete? Is that like, do we need to like taunt him in that way to get him to potentially change his ways? No, Nathan was 100% on the money here. We need to play to Pete Carroll's emotions. Pete Carroll, when he gets a little emotional, starts taking some risks and starts doing some smart things. So whatever we can do to get Pete Carroll in emotional, you know, moods, we have to do it. That was Brian. I mean, the problem with Pete is that when he gets emotional is he does dumb stuff, too. He's as likely to challenge a stupid play as he is to go for it. So. He does I'll different take, dumb I'll take, things. I'll take the, the thing. dumb challenge, though. I'll take the dumb challenge. <laughs> I guess you can only do that twice. What about the uh, third and 19 timeout? Oh, yeah. my God. I mean, it was the timeouts in that game. When they were out of timeouts and they were, they, they, yeah, third and 19, that was their last timeout. Lose <laughs> five yards. Oh my God! I mean, the problem with Pete too is that I, I I'm I'm positive he thinks it's ballsy to punt in overtime, right? Like that's his that's that's machismo for him. I don't think so. Well, I know what you're getting at. I know what you're getting at. Like he, he that's him like believing in his defense. Like we're gonna get it back or something. Right. And in reality, he's not believing in any part of his team because he's not believing in his offense. He's too cowardly to go for it, and he's not believing in his defense because he doesn't trust that they can defend a short field. Yeah. I'm really mad that he <laughs> that this, this whole thing came up, and now he has stones because they faked a punt one time. Like the dude's been. <laughs> terrible about this all year and suddenly like, like ah you know they used to call me big balls p like shut up dude <laughs> <laughs> out of here. you know when he's going to start going for it is going to be when they're up by like when he starts feeling himself when he's like 
he they're up by 20 points in the fourth quarter and he wants to end it. He doesn't want to give them the ball back. He loves that. Like no, because to go. When he'll, he'll, in the Rams game, he kicked a field goal because he didn't want to give him the ball back. Yeah. Yeah. That, it, it's it's been a mess. And he literally said, I can't remember which which game it was earlier in the year. I think it was after the Baltimore game. And and he's like, I was really disappointed in myself. You know, I I really going to be conservative. That was the word he used. I'm going to be conservative. I'm going to trust the team that we're going to, we don't need to get desperate. That was the other word he used. Um, you know, we will play the game and we will, we will win. We, you know, we're not, and we're not going to get, we're not going to play like we don't think we're going to win. Like we're not the better team. That was the mindset that he's been having for the last part of this season. And that, that is different than the way he's been in the past. I don't know why he's gotten in his mind that, you know, he needs to sit back and just play it straight. But uh, I, I will go on record. This is my hottest take, maybe. Um, I'm curious where you guys are at on things. But last year, I got a lot of crap from you guys for saying that they were going to pass the ball more this year. Um, and you're like, there's no sign that there's going to do that. They're going to do that at all. I don't know why you believe that. Um, and similarly, I think that. I think they're going to go for it more on fourth down next year. I think they are going to get some sort of, whether it's analytics, more, more of that built in the system or something. I think they're going to change. I don't think it'll probably happen this year. I do think it'll happen next year. That's my bold take. I mean, I don't necessarily think you're wrong on that. It's not a challenging, it's not, not a big thing for them to do. Like, this should be pretty simple. It should be pretty straightforward. There should be someone smart enough in the in that building to be like, no, seriously, we're giving away a lot of points and win probability and yada yada. Um, so talk to me, guys. Like, where are you feeling most bullish? Like, like just unabashedly positive about, like, and confident about the Seahawks team. What's giving you the most confidence about this team right now? I will start actually, and it's not the answer you guys want to hear, but it's the answer I have. This team, <laughs> when, you, when you go back to like the 2012, 2013, 2014, even the 2015 Seahawks, there was just something like mystical about them. Like, like they were, those teams were really good, but they were also like really lucky teams. Like they won a lot of really close games. This year, the Seahawks are a good football team, probably not as good as you know, obviously that 2013, 2014, 2015 squads, but they're also like super lucky this year too, which is also a good thing. It almost feels like destiny that there's some weird mystic magic bullshit going around this team because I think, I think this team's going to go far in the playoffs. I, I really, really do. I think there's something mystical going on. Um, you know, especially if that's, if this run game can start supporting Russell Wilson and, this offensive line can continue to play better. They're setting themselves up for success in the playoffs. And, and I think it's uh, something to look forward to. Hmm. Is okay. there anything about the last two games that you think are, was lucky? The last two games that I think was lucky. I'm trying to think to Monday night as the. Um. And, it, you know, you can come I'd back say, to you on it. Just, yeah, what were we going to say, Jeff? I'd say you can argue they were unlucky. Like, that pick six was probably the weirdest play the Seahawks had in a long time. 
Like Probably not in the last two games. I yeah, I don't think in the last two games. I would say because I because I would say for the Eagles game, it felt like we dominated almost the entire game, and it was just one or two really small mistakes that I guess not small mistakes, but mistakes that would have been the difference between a 14 and 28 point game so not probably to answer your question probably not in the last two games and i think you could even stretch it back to the 49ers game um you could say that they were lucky because the guy missed the kick but there's so many things like dk metcalf fumbling at the one inch yard one, one inch line uh you know missed field or miss um interceptions like russell you know anyway there, there's a bunch of stuff that went wrong the other way so it's hard to say that was super lucky but but you know, anyway, I was just kind of asking, I, th- I think one of the storylines I'm hearing a lot about luck is that the Seahawks have missed a lot of good players. Um, like, like yeah. Adam Thielen didn't play and George Kittle didn't play and the Eagles are missing a lot of guys, but nobody seems to talk about the Seahawks last I checked had more missed games due to injury than almost any other team in the league. So really? it, like, yeah. Yeah, it seems surprised to me. Surprising me. I'll, I'll dig it up while you guys keep going. But um, that was last I checked a couple weeks back. Um, That's surprising. Anyway, Nathan and Jeff, like, where are you guys feeling most confident about this team? Uh, I'll jump in here. Um, I think the fact that they won three games in a row where Russell hasn't played that well, I think that's the reason I'm most confident because – the whatever nine games before that, there was no chance in hell they could have won probably any of those games if Russell didn't carry the team on his shoulders. And the fact that they've beaten two very quality opponents, Philly doesn't look obviously as good as when we first thought who they were, but winning in Philly is always hard. But they won those games, and they were the clear better team in all three of those games, in my opinion. And Russell was average at best. And that, to me, is the biggest positive development for this team because – they're getting better in all phases and they really haven't hit on all strides yet. Like they haven't played a, a great game with all both units at the same time. I think the fact that they've been able to win these games with DK Metcalf fumbling and Tyler Lockett, clearly not himself. I think that's really promising. How about you, Nathan? Uh, it's still rest for me. Um, I think at the end of the uh, at the end of the day, that he's the reason why this team can be great. Um, the defense is good. There's a lot of great players across the team, um, but he's the quarterback. He's special. Um, I think he covers up a lot of uh, problems and, and mistakes that happen, um, and he's done it consistently. So. You know, I, I think it's Russ. I think, you know, um, there's been a lot of talk about, like, you know, the the resiliency of this team. And, Evan, you were tweeting out about Pete Carroll teams not giving up and all that, and that's all true. But uh, a lot of that comes from Russ, too. Um, and so, for for me, he's still the, the strength of this team. Um, and he's still what gives me a lot of confidence. So, I found it's a... Uh, this this crazy service called that's literally it's, it's like man mangameslost.com or something like this and they they do it for all major sports like nfl major league baseball nhl all that kind of stuff and they have this crazy subscription scheme where you pay like hundreds of dollars to get access to their data but they do tweet out like little tidbits and i just tweeted it out um at least through week 
12, the Seahawks had lost 177 games by injured players, which was second most in the NFL behind Washington, the Redskins. Um, there's also this like injury plot that they do. Um, I'll retweet that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that they're the most important players that are missing the games due to injury. Um, so I think that's a, a separate question, but, but they have had some, some, uh, adversity to overcome there. Some, some not quality missed Jaron Reed for six games. I don't know if that counts in this, uh, or not, but anyway, um, as far as where I'm feeling most confident about this team right now, um, man, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said the offense. I just felt like the offense had a chance to be maybe the best offense in the NFL. Like I thought there was a chance the Seahawks offense could be that way. I want to say the same thing right now, like, uh, because the rushing game is actually like done pretty well. And they've gotten that going. Rashad Penny and Chris Carson doing well, the offensive line blocking. Well, the passing game has gotten really sketchy. It's gotten really sketchy. And like, like that's going to be so important. Like, I think we all agree. Ultimately we're going to need Russell to be great to win. Brian, I think to win meaningful games. I want to chip in here real quick on this passing game dilemma. Obviously they've been playing uh, below the standard that they started to begin the season uh, for the first eight or nine weeks. Do you, maybe it's oversimplifying it, but do you think Tyler Lockett's um, injury plus being super sick on Monday night um, is pretty much the big factor that's been, you know, deteriorating this offense, their short passing game. Do you think it's going to return back to life when he's fully healthy this week? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think the Tyler Lockett thing is a big deal. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I think that's probably stating the obvious, but the fact that he hasn't been returning kicks and he, he, he's barely being targeted, I think that says a lot about where they are in terms of their confidence in him and, and, and what he's capable of right now. Um, he broke his his career record for for receptions like in week 10 or like like multiple weeks ago right and and now he's like barely involved so obviously he was like this huge volume player for them and having him gone is a big deal they also you know they don't have will disley they haven't had him for a while now but disley was a big part of this they've started to get jacob hollister in there and that helps but you know dk metcalf looks like he's growing and then he makes critical drops or he he fumbles so like and josh gordon i mean i'm still confused maybe it's just going to take some time to work him in but when they throw to him good things have happened um i haven't looked it up but i bet his like he's probably five catch or like three or four catches and five targets you know like he's, he's a high catch rate so i don't know I, I i think we definitely need to get him back but uh Part of me is like the play calling. It's somewhere between the play calling and Russell. Like there's something there that just doesn't feel right. Cause I don't think Russell's dependent on a great receiver. I think Russell's good enough that he can make jokes or side like Malik Turner and David Moore and all these guys. Like he can raise strong their, great. They can raise their level of play, right? So he, I don't know. I just feel like there's been a lot more deep drops. There's been a lot fewer quick passes and creative passes. And I would just like to see them get Russell a little bit in a rhythm early. It's old cliche football, but like 
do a couple more screens, do a couple more. The slants are looking really good right now to both DK and to Josh Gordon. I don't know that, that that's where my head is, is. It just feels like the game plan hasn't really clicked um, with Russell the last few weeks. Maybe they're just playing better defenses too. Nathan, where are you at? And I see, I see thoughts percolating in that noggin of yours. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, this team being lucky or unlucky, I think that they've been lucky in a lot of ways. They've been unlucky, unlucky in a lot of ways too. I mean, the DK fumbles, uh, that pick six was ridiculous. Like Jeff was saying. Um, so like, I don't know how bad this offense has really been. I mean, they've, they've had weird stuff, you know, go against them. Um, they've still had really great moments. Uh, so yeah, I'm more inclined to say that this offense is struggling right now because of just some weird stuff that's happened. Um, I, I don't think Russ is actually playing that poorly. Yeah, I don't think he's playing poorly. I, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't say that. It's just, I mean, think about the last time he played the Rams. I mean, we should talk about them a little bit since we're coming up to big game. He was four touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, you know, 151.8 passer rating he was they could not stop him um in that game he was just dominant and it seemed like every week we were talking about how in the world did russell and tyler make that play combination happen like some crazy play it was often more than once a game when's the last time we saw a play like that i mean i thought we saw it for a stretch in that Vikings game, right? In that third quarter when they exploded, uh, I thought Russell looked really good. Um, I mean, but, you know, again, like, I don't want to put this on DK or anything, but that fumble he had, where were they in the Vikings game? That was huge. Yeah. 30-yard line, something like that. It would have been a first down. Yep. Uh, The one against the Niners, right? He was almost in the end zone, right? So that swings from a turnover or you know from a touchdown to a turnover and even if he doesn't get in you know who knows maybe he Russell gets an easy touchdown pass right so and then yeah the the Tyler Lockett thing is not small between the injury and, and being sick and all that like you've taken his best weapon away he's already lost Disley earlier on and so you know they, they still have talent there um in the receiving core but it's not the same group um and you know we haven't we talked about the offensive line a little bit and reasons for optimism but uh, there's that stat that Ben Baldwin tweeted out today of him getting of Russell getting sacked within two and a half seconds eleven times this year. That's twice, almost twice as much as the next highest quarterback. Um, yeah, uh, talk so. about that a little bit more because you did. You, I think uh, there's a guy that broke down a little bit more in terms of 2018 and 19. I think you did some additional work on that. Just yeah, well, so John Gilbert shared out too. So like from here, I got the tweet here. Um, from 2012 to 2017, um, Russell was sacked uh, in under two and a half seconds, 19 times across what are that five or six seasons, right? Uh, and then in the last two years, uh, 2018 and so far this year, he's been sacked in under two and a half seconds, 18 times. So almost as many times as in the <laughs> preceding five years. It's ridiculous. Uh, and so if you consider that 11 of those came this year, you know, I mean, he's almost getting sacked in under two and a half seconds once a game right and like no other quarterback has more than six this year all season so 
you know, the offensive line is, is stats are a quarterback stat, especially anything over two and a half seconds. Even things under two seconds can be a quarterback stat. They can be an offensive coordinator stat. They can be a lot of things. Uh, but there's no way to look at that and, and not think that there's a problem on the line. Uh, and that may be getting worse with uh, both Posick and Britt out. Yeah, let me let me add, let me make sure it lands for people. So, I mean, what you, when you isolated the numbers a little bit farther, it was clear that 2018, 2019, that things got meaningfully worse than they had been in the prior years. And, you know, all of our minds initially go right to the offensive line, but there were a number of things that changed, right? You had a different... Um, different offensive coordinator, different um, uh, offensive line coach. You had, um, I think you brought up Nathan, changes to the receiving core. You had uh, changes to the offensive guard, um, which in terms of really quick sacks uh, up the middle is the quickest path, you know, straight line to the quarterback um, is, is pretty quick. Um, and I think one of the other things we've heard is that Russell has been given more responsibility in terms of making pre-snap calls than he had before. That's something Schottenheimer believes in for his quarterbacks and wanted to, and I think Russell wanted more responsibility that way. So there are been some things that changed, but then I think you even looked further and I think it's even more just this year, like this year is by far the worst, um, even worse than last year. And some of those things didn't change from last year to this year. So there is something weird going on there. Um, but like, as far as avoiding those things that, that can be absolutely, there's no doubt the offensive line's part of it. I tend to think there's also something about pre-snap reads and being able to, I mean, if there's a blitzer coming and you don't have the right protection, that's the fastest way to get, you know, smacked in the face. Um, if you don't know where the hot read is to get rid of the ball, Russell's not, you know, he, he actually like that. That's something he can do really well. I think the times where he holds onto the ball and I, I get frustrated or like in this game where he's trying, he's deep dropping and he's not seeing a guy open and he wants to turn a four second drop into an eight second drop. That's where I get annoyed. That's where I think he holds onto the ball. But I think we see him like get rid of the ball quickly on blitzes. I mean, he kills blitzes usually. So I don't know. It's, it's just, a, it's an interesting number and something certainly to watch. And I, I don't know what, what theories do you guys have? Do you have any other theories about like what's different this year and why we'd be seeing that so much more? It's hard because I think the play design is a big part of this. And, you know, talking about like four second drops, that's a problem in and of, in and of itself. Uh, and then when you go back and watch, like a lot of times there's two routes, th three routes, right? And so like, yeah, I mean, you can criticize Russ sometimes that he needs to get rid of the ball and do different stuff with it. But like, you know, he's he's not always being given a lot to work with. The thing about it, I mean, that's not, these aren't new things for them though. So I don't know if they're doing it more or if they're not as effective at it anymore or, or what the deal is. But um that's kind of just part and parcel with this offense and, and what they like to do. And a lot of it plays to Russell's strengths. And then, but you also get this other side of it and it's starting again to skew to the point where they have to reconsider what they're doing, whether it's 
working with Russ to figure something else out and, and his assi- like getting the blocking assignments right and the hot reads or whatever, or, you know, cooling it on the, these big chunk plays where you've got like, you know, two receivers running, you know, all the way downfield. All right. I got to paint a picture for you guys. All right. You don't have to close your eyes, but just imagine, imagine uh, February 10th, 2020 Seahawks have won their second Super Bowl. And you pick up the paper digitally, however you do it. You know, you see your headline go across Twitter. Brian Schottenheimer has been hired as the new head coach of the Washington Redskins. I don't know. Pick a, pick a team. Um, what is your reaction to that? You happy? You sad? It's fear. And I'll, and I'll tell you yeah. why it's fear. I don't think Brian Schoenheimer, there's Brian Schoenheimer, the offensive coordinator. And then there's Brian Schoenheimer, the quarterback's coach. I actually think Brian Schoenheimer is much more valuable as a quarterback's coach. I think he's been instrumental in Russell Wilson's development. We've seen, you know, his pocket awareness, his, you know, his footwork improve under Schoenheimer. We've seen some really tangible improvements uh, with with this duo uh, there's there's you know you can make arguments pro and against Brian Schottenheimer with this offense but at the end of the day they do have one of the best offenses in the NFL and you can't just exclude Brian Schottenheimer from any credit of that he's you know he he, he includes credit just because he just because he's associated even if he doesn't deserve that much it's it's kind of hard for us to honestly like as fans define precisely how much credit he deserves. But to close the loop on this, my real fear is who they would replace him with. Um, I'm not confident in if it's Pete Carroll or I, 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 I'm just worried about who, uh, Oh, uh, <laughs> the linebacker coach. No. I would say Rivera's a defensive guy. Yeah, that, that would that would be big problem. So it, it's 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 happiness for Brian Schottenheimer, but it's kind of fear about who they're going to replace him with. Who did that? What team did that? A few, like I don't know, six years ago now, where they took a defensive coach and made him their offensive coordinator. I feel like Jeff, you should know. That. You can help me out here. Do you I know, like the Falcons like, just did that with like Raheem Morris, like pretty recently. But didn't they, not, I know exactly they, what you're talking about. I'll, I'll, it'll come to my head later. Yeah, anyways. but I can see Pete doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no, uh, Ken Norton, offensive coordinator. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, bring Dan Quinn back as the defensive coordinator. No, but, but how would you feel about it? How would you feel? If uh, if if Shadi was on his way and he had an empty empty uh, seat to fill at OC, I I'd feel the same as Evan. Um, I think that Shadi has, I mean, clearly shown that this the offense can be successful with him. It's not perfect, you know. Again, like just because something's first doesn't mean it, it can't be better. Uh, but they, you know, I think they have the number one ranked passing offense right now, um, according to DVOA, and so, you know losing him is going to pose some risk of decline. I don't really trust Pete to go out and, and nail that hire necessarily. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't be sad. I'd probably be optimistic. I'd probably get ready to get really angry when they 
fine shoddy 2.0 but uh yeah i mean there's there's potential downside there i'm gonna make a super bold prediction actually okay and this might come back to haunt me or this could be like some cycle psychic voodoo shit if the seahawks win the super bowl this year pete carroll retires and brian schoenheimer is your next head coach it doesn't feel right to me oh i'm not saying it feels right or anything i just think it's Wait, How would you part? feel about How that? It doesn't feel right. The retirement or the shoddy part? Um, I I don't think Pete is the guy that is looking for a way to ride off into the sunset. I think he wants to do it as long as he can possibly do it. Uh, I like, don't know if I agree with that. I, I really think Pete Carroll's the type of guy to – you know, leave the program on top type of thing. I, I don't think, I think he's, I think his mm. retirement one day will be very sudden. I don't think it'll be expected. Didn't leave USC on top. <laughs> that hasn't been his history. Yeah. But yeah. Kevin, how would you feel if that happened? Like based on how you feel about Pete, like, would you be happy with that? <laughs> That's a weird one, right? No. Because you probably can't find, unless you're hiring Urban Meyer, like you probably can't find somebody as good. Oh, no, no. I just mean if Shoddy's the head coach. Oh, um, I don't know how I would feel about that. I, I kind of want to see what Brian Schottenheimer would be like outside of Pete Carroll. I don't know if he'd be different in any way. I know there's been like some reported rumors of some tension here and there you know, with, with Shoddy's play calling early in the season last year and stuff like, like that. So um, it'd be interesting to me. I, I don't know how I'd feel. We'd have to see. I I really like, um, I, I know I'm, I don't know if I'm in the minority, but maybe in, 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 on this pod, I'm at least uh, one of, uh, whatever. I, I think that I like situations when you've got your best player on one side of the ball and your coach is on the other side. Um, you know, I think it works well with, with Belichick and Brady. I think it works well, you know, even Tomlin and Rockberger are years. I think um, it's not always that way, certainly. You know, Holmgren and Favre, uh, you know, you can have offensive coaches that have dominant offensive teams. Uh, but I like that you have a coach that's a really, really, really good um defensive coach and you've got maybe the best player in the game on on offense i like that balance and so having schottenheimer who i don't think is one of the best offensive coaches in the league even (laughs) and then to lose like can you imagine it was schottenheimer and then ken norton was the dc like can you imagine the memes though they'd be amazing they would josh would be josh would be josh this would be Josh would prime be era for cube. He would be like in like he'd be on crack on the street somewhere, like hovered and trying to to like recover. It would be bad. It would be really bad. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but I don't know. Shy just doesn't strike me as like someone who would be a good head coach. He just doesn't seem to have like the qualities you look for at all. Like he, he seems like he's kind of topped out and this is his ceiling as a coach. Am I misreading that? That's my, I, I totally agree. I think it's like both. Like, I feel like what Pete did a few years ago when he cleared ranks um, of everyone except for the guy that 
we all would wish that he would have gotten rid of too, but um, on special teams. But um, then he replaced him with a bunch of, I think, people that would just do what he his bidding. <laughs> for the most part, like I don't think he got many. Like it's been a while since he had a Dan Quinn or a Gus Bradley or someone who's really capable of stepping up to be a head coach. I don't think Daryl Bevel was that guy. I don't think Chris Richard was that guy. Um, Tom Cable arguably was that guy. He'd been a head coach before, but I don't think he's going to be one again. So, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, I know we're, we're, we're heading up here on 9 o'clock. Let's talk a little bit about this game this weekend. Um, you've got a Seahawks team is now 10-2, and two, first place in the NFC West. Um, you're going against a Rams team that is what seven and five, something like that. Um, and offense has been atrocious, like uh, for the most part. And then it just had this massive breakout against um, uh, against Arizona, who has a terrible defense. Um, this is kind of the make or break game. I mean, if, if the Rams lose this game, I think they're out of the playoffs. I'm not sure, but I think so. Um, winning this game would clinch the playoffs for the Seahawks. Um, this is a team that coming into this year, everyone was like, this is the team the Seahawks have to knock off. And they ended up winning that game. It felt like a huge, huge win early in the season. You look back on it and it's like, eh, yeah, it was fine. Um, how are you guys feeling about this game? Like not even superstitiously, but like when you look at this game and you look at these two teams, Who's the better team? How, how do you expect this game to play out? Jeff, why don't you start? I'm very uncomfortable about this game because I don't really know what the Rams are at this point. Because if you look at their last two games, they couldn't be further at the opposite ends of the spectrum. The Ravens game was one of the more pathetic displays I've seen from a team, and they quit. But then Jared Goff had like 400 yards at halftime on Sunday. And they seem to be kind of figure out they're using – they're kind of figuring out their offense again. And I don't know, we've talked about the Seahawks and how much they're like playing with fire on their margin of error and their point differential. I'm just uncomfortable with this game because I don't have a read on the Rams at all right now. Like I kind of had on the last couple games and this one worries me. I don't know. I feel like this is the kind of game that the Seahawks are going to drop. Nathan. Uh, I, I don't know. I've been perpetually nervous about this team for a while now. I've picked them to lose the last three games. Uh, I'm the terrified. last three? Oh, 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 oh! I thought you meant the. Uh, sorry, continue no, yeah. your take. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The previous three <laughs> games that we've predicted, I, I, I thought they were going to lose. And now I'm kind of bought in again, which makes me scared that I'm going to now pick them to win, and they're going to go against it. They're uh, but I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you think about why Seattle would struggle against this team with what we've seen from them all year, I mean, I guess the most obvious one is that they were a missed field goal away from losing to the Rams at home earlier this year. Um, I think one of the other things is that this will be the best receiving unit that they've had to go up against in several weeks. Um, you know, <clears throat> for as much I, I mean I'm getting tired of saying this every week about being cautious about the defense because it's been like three or four weeks now and, and they keep looking good but 
I think this is another test. Um, the flip side of that, of course, is Jared Goff. Uh, and then the other thing is, I guess, just, you know, Aaron Donald and this offensive line, talking about Ruskett and Satin under two seconds, like, it's not hard to see Aaron Donald obliterating Joey Hunt a few times. So, I mean, those are the reasons to be nervous, but I really, I'm really not overall. I, I think that they should win this game. Do we know? I've been really nervous. Sorry, yeah, go ahead, Evan. Uh, I've been really nervous for this game for several weeks, but I've officially talked myself into the Seahawks winning this game. Um, I'm nervous still, though, because it's a divisional game, and divisional games are always dangerous. It doesn't matter how the Seahawks or Rams have performed at any point up till Sunday. None of that matters. What matters is what happens on the football field on Sunday. And I still believe that Rams are honestly a dangerous football team and they could win this game. I think the Seahawks are a better team, but divisional games are dangerous. So they have to go into this game, not playing down to the quality of their opponent. They have to play past the quality of their opponent. They have to play to their quality of play. So that is something I would like to see from this football team. Um, I think at the end of the day, and we spoke on it earlier, the real key of the game, it's no secret. It's get it's the pass rush getting to Jared Goff. If you can get Jared Goff under pressure, you can stress him out. He will make mistakes. No doubt in my mind, he is not a good NFL quarterback. If you give him the time, if you give him, you know, um, the room to make plays, he will make plays. But you have to put pressure on him. And right now, this pass rush is clicking at the right time. Uh, you know, Ansa looks like he's going to be potentially okay for Sunday night. Uh, Clowney actually had a great game still against the Vikings playing through that sports hernia injury. Rasheem Green is playing well. Um, uh, Shaquem Griffin is, is flashing on the, on, on the edge. There's a lot of things to like about heading into this game, but I do think the edge rush gets to Jared Goff and I think the Seahawks win this game. Are you going to say something, Nathan? No? All right. Nope. nope. Um, one of the things uh, – a couple couple things about this game that are interesting. So, so, the one, you remember the Seahawks were in control a lot of the first half and it actually slowed down the, the Rams' offense. But then uh, this guy named Gerald Everett, their tight end, he went off in the second half. I think he had like 100 yards receiving in the second half or something like that. He was just like all over the place. Well – he didn't play last week. He hasn't practiced yet this week. Um, he may not play. So the Seahawks may get some more fortune there um, as a guy that's, that gave them trouble. The other thing is the Seahawks, they've this offensive, this defensive pass rush that the Seahawks have now found, they've done that against two pretty good offensive lines in the 49ers and the Eagles. And then um, uh, even with the injuries, the Eagles offensive line is, is decent. Um, and then they did it against the Vikings last week. The Rams offensive line is bad, like really, really, really bad. Like Andrew Whitworth is okay at left tackle. Um, the rest of the line is terrible and they're starting right tackle. Rob Havenstein, he's been injured for a while. It looks like he might make it back for this game that might be a really good thing for the Seahawks. He's given up more pressures than anyone on that line. He's just been a total turnstile at right tackle. Um, I think Austin Blythe might be their right guard. He's also really bad. Uh, and then Brian Allen was their center. 
he went out on injured reserve a few weeks ago. So they got like Austin Corbett playing center. Like it's a really, really bad line. So I think the Seahawks have a chance to really overwhelm them um, from a pass rush perspective. And you've also got this weird thing where your favorite little wonder boy, Sean McVay is like flogging himself for not running the ball more often and not using Todd Gurley. And so now he's running the ball more often. I don't know that that helps them. Like I, I like, I, I think Sean McVay is searching for himself. I, I don't think he knows what to do with the team he's got. So I think the Seahawks defense has a really good shot to play their best game against the Rams um, in, in, you know, the McVay era. I think we haven't also talked about Trey Flowers, who has had two great games in a row and, and is, is, is coming on strong. You don't think so? I saw that little head shake. Come on, dude. That was a great interception. You guys have been, you guys have been doubting. It was a great you job of not getting called. Trey not. Flowers all year. Oh, oh. that was a great play. It was PI, but you know they didn't call it. So good for him. Sounds like you hate <laughs> physical football, and I'm sorry about that. It's true. I do. I, I think want... the thing that's that that is a real question mark for me in this game is the Seahawks' offense against the Rams' defense, and for all the reasons you guys mentioned about quick sacks, uh, interior, like can Joey Hunt hold up against, you know, Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers. Um, those are the questions. And, and like, they didn't have Jalen Ramsey the first game. How's going to look? Um, I think matchup. I think D might be an, you know, place to go. I'm curious. We did not face Taylor time. Um, and I think he was, he was pretty good um, at safety. So, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting game. I, I think the weirdest stat I found was that the Rams are one in five when they allow 17 points or more. And for a team with an offensive coach that is known for scoring points for them to struggle when the opponents score 17, <laughs> it's pretty weird. Uh, and in fact, I think the one game they won was the first game of the season. So they've lost their last five games on a point scored 17 or more. So on the other hand, they're undefeated when their opponent scores less than 17. Um, so that's really the question is, can the Seahawks, if the Seahawks 25 point game, I, I think, I think they win it comfortably. And in fact, I think that it's going to be something like 25, 16 is, is the, my expected, expected uh, outcome. Uh, where are you guys score wise? Let's go around Robin, Nathan, you first. Uh, uh, make somebody else go first. Let me think about this one for a minute. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Seahawks. Um, twenty. No, I'm gonna go Seahawks twenty to ten. It's gonna be a low-scoring game. Jeff, uh, I hope I'm wrong about this. I got a weird feeling about this game. I'm gonna say Rams twenty-six, Seahawks twenty-four. Nathan, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna go 42-9. Wow! Whoa. Rams, awesome. Oh my! No. Oh. <laughs> Seahawks, Seahawks. I don't know. This team, this team is either is due to either get its ass kicked or just absolutely kick somebody's ass. And maybe this is like we're gonna look. We're gonna look at this game in a week, and it's gonna be like, oh, it's that. Rams game from two years ago when they, they when they came to Seattle and they obliterated us, but like in reverse. 
that's what I'm going with. I I I am like loving bullish, optimistic Nathan this season, and he's been he's been right. He's well, been right. as as you know, I'm always wrong. I'm never right, so it's probably going the other You've way. You've been on right this. all no. year, dude. You've been wrong about picking them to lose. You've been what? right about being saying that they're a very good team for all year. You've yep. been on that before. A lot of the other folks on this pod were so. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I certainly would enjoy watching that. Um, I thought we were going to get our first blowout this game. 34, 17 seemed like it was going to happen. <sighs> did did you see Pete real quick? Did you see Pete like laugh about that on the radio on Monday? He was like, yeah, we're, I'm paraphrasing heavily, but he was like, yeah, we're up by 17 and, we just weren't comfortable blowing them out. So we had to let them back into it. And I was just cursing to myself, like, fuck, this guy is in on it. He's, <laughs> he's trying to kill us. No, I think that means he's every bit as frustrated by it as everyone else. Yes. I think he's in on the joke on that one. Like, <laughs> I, say what you want. I mean, you can say a lot of stuff about Pete, but Pete does enjoy a good ass kicking. <laughs> he does I mean, who doesn't who, uh, like people are like oh it's not entertaining i'm like i'm fully entertained by seahawks blowouts i'll take all the seahawks blowouts we can find all right fellas well um that's our show for tonight 82nd episode of real hawk talk um uh thank you folks that are supporting us on patreon.com slash hawk blogger if you haven't already please sign up um we are already on track um to hit our goal this year for um, raising at least ten thousand dollars to donate to, to ben's fund um love to get that up closer to the twenty thousand dollar goal that we, we we set every year and uh other ways you can help if you're not going to sign up patreon.com obviously super chat uh easy available um really appreciate when when folks uh donate there and then uh you can go and and uh uh, subscribe on the YouTube channel. Um, tell p- people about the pod. Um, support our sponsors, Burger Master. Go buy a burger and a shake for God's sakes. What are you doing? Um, uh, go with Blake at Manifest Fit and work off the calories from the burger and fries that you just ate. I mean, we're here. We're a total, total solution for you. And then go buy a house. Um, you know, call John Hurlbut uh, at Altitude Homes. Um, I mean, we got everything you guys need. So. Uh, go support our sponsors um, and then leave us a review, leave us a five-star review. And if it's anything less than five stars, please let us know why. And uh, we'll do our best to, to make changes. So people in the chat are asking what my prediction was. I already said it with 25, 16 Seahawks, but I will reiterate it. So uh, there you go, everybody have a wonderful week and uh, another Sunday night primetime game. Let's see Russell Wilson. Uh, restate his case for MVP. I still believe it's possible. Let's do it. Take care, everybody. Go Hawks. Everybody go Hawks. Everybody go Hawks. Everybody go Hawks. Everybody go Hawks. Everybody.